My beloved brethren and sisters and friends everywhere, I have in mind saying a few words about the two most important medium of communications known to man. First, prayer, the means by which men address God. And second, about revelation, the means by which God communicates to men. I suppose that when we speak of prayer, most of us think about the prayers we offer as we gather around the t our tables, kneel beside our beds, or here in our church meetings. In addition, however, it may properly be said that prayer includes other means by which men address God. Nephi doesn't use the word prayer in introducing his account of his great vision. He simply says, after I had desired to know the things that my father had seen, and believing that the Lord was able to make them known unto me, I sat pondering in my heart. As I sat pondering in my heart, I was caught away in the spirit of the Lord, yea, into an exceeding high mountain. There's no doubt in my mind but that Nephi's pondering was in essence a prayer. The Lord said to Emma Smith, My soul delighteth in the songs of the heart. Yea, the song of the righteous is a prayer unto me. Frequently, prayers are requests for specific blessings. They may, however, and should include expressions of thanksgiving, praise, worship, and adoration. As James Montgomery has so beautifully written, prayer is the soul's sincere desire, uttered or unexpressed, the motion of a hidden fire that trembles in the breast. Prayer is the burden of a sigh, the falling of a tear, the upward glancing of an eye when none but God is near. Prayer is the simplest form of speech that infant lips can try. Prayer the sublimest strains that reach the majesty on high. Prayer is the Christian's vital breath, the Christian's native air, his watchword at the gate of death, he enters heaven with prayer. O thou by whom we come to God, the life, the truth, the way, the path of prayer thou hast trod, Lord, teach us how to pray. The importance of prayer is emphasized by the fact that the most oft-repeated command given by God to men is to pray. The first commandment God gave Adam and Eve was that they should worship the Lord their God. And later an angel of the Lord appeared unto Adam, saying, Thou shalt do all that thou doest in the name of the Son, and thou shalt repent and call upon God in the name of the Son forevermore. The Lord took occasion to personally instruct the brother of Jared as to the importance of prayer. 
When he with the Jaredite colony reached the great sea, the Lord came unto him, and for the space of three hours did the Lord talk with him and chastened him, because he remembered not to call upon the name of the Lord. And the brother of Jared repented of this sin which he had done, and did call upon the name of the Lord. And the Lord said unto him, I will forgive you, thee and thy brethren, but thou shalt not sin any more. For ye shall remember that my spirit will not always strive with man. Therefore, if ye will sin until ye are fully ripe, ye shall be cut off from the presence of the Lord. Amulek admonished the backsliding Nephites in these words, May God grant unto you, my brethren, that ye may begin to exercise your faith unto repentance, that ye begin to call upon his holy name, that he would have mercy upon you. Cry unto him for mercy, for he is mighty to save. Humble yourselves and continue in prayer unto him. He thus instructed them what to pray about, and where and how often they should pray. Cry unto him when ye are in your fields, over all your flocks. Cry unto him in your houses, yea, over all your households, both morning, midday, and evening. Cry unto him against the power of your enemies. Cry unto him against the devil, who is an enemy to all righteousness. Cry unto him over the crops of your fields, that ye may prosper in them. Cry over the flocks of your fields, that they may increase. But this is not all. Ye must pour out your souls in your closets and your secret places and in your wilderness. And when you do not cry unto the Lord, let your hearts be full, drawn out in prayer unto him continually for your welfare and also for the welfare of those who are around you. As Jesus, after his resurrection, administered among the Nephites, he taught them how to pray by giving them the Lord's Prayer as a pattern. And thereafter, he thus instructed his Nephite disciples, Behold, verily I say unto you, ye must watch and pray always, lest ye enter into temptation. For Satan desireth to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. Therefore ye must always pray unto the Father in my name. As to promised rewards, he said, And whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, which is right, believing that ye shall receive, behold, it shall be given unto you. Pray in your families unto the Father always in my name, that ye may, that your wives and your children may be blessed. In this last dispensation, almost two years before the church was organized, the Lord said to the prophet Joseph Smith, 
pray always that you may come off conqueror, yea, that you may conquer Satan, and that you may escape the hands of the servants of Satan that do uphold his works. Later he said to Martin Harris, I command thee that thou shalt pray vocally as well as in your heart, yea, before the world as well as in secret, in public as well as in private. He directed the priests of the church to visit the house of each member and exhort them to pray vocally and in secret. He admonished Joseph Knight, you must pray vocally before the world as well as in secret and in your family and among your friends and in all places. And to Thomas B. Marsh, pray always lest you enter into temptation and lose your reward. Pray always that you may abide the day of his coming, whether in life or in death. What I say unto all, I say uh, unto one, I say unto all. Pray always that wicked one have power, lest that wicked one have power in you and remove, remove you out of your place. Parents shall teach their children to pray and to walk uprightly before the Lord. Speaking of the church members in Zion, the Lord said, He that observeth not his prayers before the Lord in the season thereof, let him be had in remembrance before the judge of my people. The purpose of prayer, however, is not to appease a vindictive deity, nor is it to court favors from an indulgent father. It is to attune oneself with the spirit or light which proceedeth forth from the presence of God to fill the immensity of space. In that light is to be found sure answers to all our needs. Prayer is the key which unlocks the door and lets Christ into our lives. Behold, said he, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and be with him. Just as prayer is the means by which men address the Lord, so revelation is the means by which God communicates to men. In doing so, he uses various means. The spoken word, for example, was the, was the method he used to answer Adam's prayer. Adam and Eve heard the voice of the Lord from the way towards the Garden of Eden speaking unto them. In addition to the spoken word, the Lord at times appears personally. Abraham talked with the Lord face to face as one man speaketh and talketh with another. And God spake unto Moses, and the glory of the Lord was upon Moses, so that Moses stood in the presence of God and talked with him face to face. Joseph Smith the prophet gives us this testimony 
of the personal appearance to him of both the Father and the Son. I saw, he said, a pillar of light exactly over my head above the brightness of the day, sun, which descended gradually until it fell upon me. In it I saw two personages whose brightness and glory defy all description standing above me in the air. And one of them spake unto me, calling me by name, and said, pointing to the other, This is my beloved Son. Sometimes the Lord sends personal representatives to communicate with men. He sent Moroni, for example, to visit and instruct the Prophet Joseph Smith several times. Introducing his account of this visit, the Prophet wrote, After I had retired to my bed for the night, I betook myself to prayer and supplication to Almighty God. While I was while I was thus in the act of calling upon God, I discovered a light appearing in my room, which continued to increase until the room was lighter than at noonday, when immediately a personage at my side standing in the air uh, appeared at my side standing in the air. On other occasions, the Lord has communicated with men by means of dreams and visions, Daniel's dream, for example, and Nephite's vision. Enoch says, The voice of the Lord came into my mind again, saying, I will visit thy brethren according to their diligence in keeping my commandments. I can personally testify to this form of revelation because I have experienced it. For example, I was once conducting a talk I given at the funeral of a fine Latter-day Saint mother and was almost ready to say amen and sit down. There came in my mind the words, turn around and bear your testimony. And this I did. I thought no more about the event for several months when my sister, then living in a neighboring state, paid us a visit, and she told us this experience. She said, There lives in our ward a woman who for many years has taken no interest in the Church. Our efforts to activate her have been fruitless. Recently she has completely changed. She pays her tithing attends sacrament meetings regularly, and participates in all Church activities. When asked what caused the Reformation, she said, I went to Salt Lake City to the funeral of my mother. During the services, a man by the name of Romney spoke. After he had given an ordinary talk, I thought he was going to sit down. but. Instead, he turned around to the pulpit and bore a testimony which greatly impressed me. It awakened in me a desire to live as my mother had always taught me. Now, I know my brothers and sisters and friends 
and bear witness to the fact that revelation from the Lord comes through the spoken word by personal visitation by messengers from the Lord through deems and by way of visions and by the voice of the Lord coming into one's mind. Most often, however, revelation comes to us by means of the still small voice. The importance and reality of this means of revelation is attested to and emphasized by the Lord himself. Concerning the truthfulness of the prophet's testimony about the gold plates containing the Book of Mormon record, the Lord said in a revelation through the prophet Joseph Smith to Oliver Cowdery, Behold, thou knowest that thou hast inquired of me, and I did enlighten thy mind, and added, Did I not speak peace to your mind concerning the matter? With respect to Oliver's receiving a knowledge concerning the engravings on the plates which Joseph was translating, the Lord said, Behold, I will tell you in your mind and in your heart by the Holy Ghost which shall come upon you and which shall dwell in your heart. In making decisions, revelation from the Lord is available to everyone who will qualify and seek for it. And this is the divine formula. You must study it out in your mind. Then you must ask me if it is right. And if it is right, I will cause that your bosom shall burn within you. Therefore, you shall feel that it is right. And if it is not right, you shall have no such feeling. To the truthfulness of these divine teachings concerning prayer and revelation, I bear witness to you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. Amen. My remarks today are directed primarily to young married couples who are, are those who are planning to be married, but perhaps they will apply to all of us who are married or who someday will be married. I would like to talk about the art of making your marriage successful. Our Heavenly Father loves all of us and wants us to be happy. The scriptures record men are that they might have joy. President Kimball has told us happiness, the price of happiness, is to keep the commandments. Nowhere else are happiness and success more important than in your marriage. The foundation for a happy and successful marriage is a marriage solemnized in the temple. To you who were married for time only, let me urge you to thoroughly investigate the blessings available to you by going to the temple and having your family sealed to you for time and for all eternity. 
Participating in these sacred ordinances should be your most important objective for achieving a successful marriage. When our Heavenly Father permitted us to come to this earth, He gave us our free agency, allowing us to make our own decisions. He also furnished us with guidelines to help us live righteously. In His wisdom, He gives us many problems, for He knows that by meeting them and finding solutions, we will gain knowledge and skills, develop character, and learn to overcome evil, all of which will help us while we are here on earth as well as in the life hereafter. We should therefore look at problems as opportunities for growth and development. As we meet the challenges, Successfully, we will enjoy peace, love, and tranquility in our marriage and in our home. One of the first things a couple must do is to establish and maintain good relations with each other. If you want to be sweethearts, you must work at it. I admonish every one of you to do everything possible to make your companion happy. Be kind and considerate of each other. When problems arise, talk things over calmly and resolve differences promptly. On one occasion, Elder Garden B. Hinckley said, Quiet speech in the home is the language of peace. President McKay used to say, Never yell at each other in the home. And then facetiously he would add, Maybe on one occasion it would be all right, and that is if the house were on fire. Sometimes it is difficult for us to understand why our mates don't see things and arrive at the same conclusions as we do. People are different in their thinking and their understanding, and opinions often vary. Differences must be re re reconciled promptly if husbands and wives are to be happy and work as a team together. To achieve a successful marriage, it is important to reach an understanding on what is expected of each of the marriage partners. Ordinarily, the husband is the breadwinner, and he should be willing to work hard and to do all in his power to properly take care of the financial needs of his family. Financial needs should be discussed and priorities set for the welfare of the entire family. The wife is the homemaker. It is her responsibility to see that a clean, orderly home is maintained. Some divorces have occurred where the wife becomes indifferent about her personal appearance and or becomes a careless housekeeper. I cannot stress too strongly to the sisters the importance of personal cleanliness, good appearance, and maintaining a clean, orderly home. In the beginning, if the wife's health permits, she is often temporarily employed outside the home. When this is the case, the husband should help with the housekeeping chores. If a man truly loves his wife, he will not want to or allow her to work more than her health and strength permit. He will want to help her in every possible way. When I was a young man, my wife would ask me to come and help her with the dishes and make the beds and with other household chores. Now, at this time in our lives, I ask her to come and help me wash the dishes and make the bed. <laughs> the important thing is to work together and help each other. By your actions, let everyone know you love each other. Demonstrate consideration at all times. Husbands, open the door of the car for your wife or your companion. 
When you enter or leave a building together, open the door and have her go in first. Help her to be seated before you are seated. Sometimes our ladies don't allow us time to perform such courtesies. My advice to you sisters are to take the extra time. If you jump out a few times without his help, he will probably expect you to come and open the door for him. <laughs> sisters would do well to remember that a husband generally treats his wife the way she expects to be treated. Now, money is very important in a marriage, money management especially. And I'd like to give you four guides that I think will be helpful in this respect. First, always pay your tithing. Keep yourself eligible for the great blessings the Lord has promised to those who obey this commandment. He made this statement in the scriptures, Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing, there shall not be room enough to receive it. I testify to you that this is true. Next, pay yourself something off the top. Save something out of every dollar you earn. I suggest your goal be no less than 10% of your income after you have paid the Lord his share. Brigham Young once said, if you wish to get rich, save what you get. A fool can earn money, but it takes a wise man to save it and dispose of it to his own advantage. Next, avoid using credit cards and charge accounts for installment purchases. We are all being urged to buy now and pay later. This makes it sound easy and even glamorous to surround ourselves with luxuries before they are earned. My advice to all is to save now and buy later. This will not only save a high interest charge, but it will also keep couples out of financial bondage. Our late President J. Reuben Clark advises us, Let us avoid debt as we would avoid a plague. Where we are now in debt, let us get out of debt. If not today, then tomorrow. Let us strictly live within our income and save a little. Budget your income and outgo, and do not live beyond your means. To consistently spend more than you earn makes it impossible to keep solvent and difficult to control your wants. Young couples especially should establish priorities. In establishing priorities, remember that the family always comes first and foremost in your life. Next comes church responsibilities, and then your business affairs, the way you earn your living. Remember the admonition of the Savior when he told his disciples, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. I testify that this is true and that it points the way to success in all respects. Time is one of our most valuable possessions. Use it wisely. Remind yourselves often that things that matter most should not be left to the mercy of things that matter the least. We should all constantly evaluate our progress. To live righteous lives and accomplish the purpose of our creation, we must constantly review the past, determine our present status, and set goals for the future. Without this process, there is little chance of reaching one's objectives. Young people, I would admonish you to associate with good people. 
Those with whom you associate will contribute to your success or your failure, and their actions and ideals will have a profound influence on life and your actions, either for good or evil. Learn to walk in the company of good people. Shun evil by staying out of the devil's territory. Next, be honest in all matters. Be honest with your spouse, with your family, with yourself, and with your neighbor. Honesty includes freedom from lying, deceiving, cheating, or stealing, as well as to meet our commitments. Honesty also includes doing a good day's work. If we shirk our jobs, we are stealing time from our employers. The business world and other employers are seeking those who are honest and dependable. This has always been the case and will continue to be so for all time. Guard your reputation for honesty and dependability very carefully. It can be one of your most valuable possessions. As you become parents, you should feel responsible to teach and train your children. Our scriptures make this very clear. In the Doctrine and Covenants we read, Inasmuch as parents have children in Zion or in any of her stakes which are not organized, that teach them not to understand the doctrine of repentance, faith in Christ, the Son of the living God, and of baptism, and the gift of the Holy Ghost by the laying on of hands, when eight years of age, the sin be upon the heads of the parents. Notice it didn't say the Sunday school teacher or the primary teacher. The sin is on the heads of the parents. Home responsibilities and rearing children must be uppermost in the minds and actions of parents if a successful marriage is to be achieved. This famous statement made by our late David O. McKay should always be remembered. No other success can compensate for failure in the home. Let love radiate in your home and in all walks of life, not only to each other but to also to your children, your relatives, your friends, and your associates. The Lord commanded us to love one another when he said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Quarreling, bickering, and fault-finding should be avoided at all costs. In Third Nephi, the Lord made this significant statement, He that hath the spirit of contention is not of me, but is of the devil, who is the father of contention, and he stirreth up the hearts of men to contend with anger one with another. Behold, this is not my doctrine, to stir up the hearts of men with anger one against another, but this is my doctrine, that such things should be done away. And also in Mosiah we read that parents are particularly responsible for the behavior of their children. And ye will not suffer your children that they go hungry or naked, neither will ye suffer that they transgress the laws of God and fight and quarrel one with another and serve the devil who is the master of sin or who is the evil spirit which hath been spoken of by our fathers, he being an enemy to all righteousness. One of the most important things you will need to remember is to get on your knees for family prayers, both night and morning. Take turns in thanking your Heavenly Father for the blessings He has given you and ask for those things you need that will be for your good. Our Heavenly Father always answers our prayers, 
Sometimes his answers are not what we expect or ask for, but I promise you his answers are always for our good. He knows better than we how our prayers should be answered. Also, find a few minutes each day to study and ponder the scriptures together. In the scriptures, we find answers to all of life's problems. Finally, I would give you a challenge to stay close to the Church. Attend your meetings. Magnify your callings in the priesthood. Wives, support your husbands in their Church assignments, and husbands, support your wives in their Church callings. Go to the temple often and carry the spirit you feel there back into your homes. Be diligent in keeping the covenants you have made or will make in the house of the Lord. At a fireside talk at Brigham Young University, President Kimball said, Almost all marriages could be beautiful, harmonious, and happy and eternal ones if the two people primarily involved would determine that it should be, that it must be, that it will be. May our Heavenly Father bless you abundantly in your efforts to make your marriage successful for both time and all eternity. I humbly pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. It has been but seven days since throngs of people attended those special worship services hearing songs and sermons commemorating that most important event, the crucifixion and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In reviewing and pondering that miracle, my thoughts have been drawn to the episode after the Jews had bound Jesus and led him to the judgment hall. It is recorded in the scriptures, Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall, and called Jesus and said to him, Art thou the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Sayest thou this of the thing of thyself, or did others tell it thee of me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Pilate saith unto him, what is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews, and said unto, saith unto them, I find no fault in him at all. Further negotiations, however, between Pilate and the accusers of Jesus brought about the crucifixion. With the question, What is truth? Pilate left Jesus standing alone without granting him the courtesy of reply. One wonders why. Such action leads one to believe that he feared the truth, perhaps as others might fear it, not willing to face up to it, by not wishing to take upon themselves the discipline and responsibility demanded by truth. Jesus spoke of, Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Those who are of the truth are those who sincerely seek after it. 
All mankind should be seekers after truth, for it is the supreme essence of their lives. One author expresses such a thought with these words, Yet truth, which only doth judge itself, teacheth that the inquiry of truth, which is the love-making or wooing of it, the knowledge of truth, which is the presence of it, and the belief of truth, which is the enjoying of it, is the sovereign good of human nature. In harmony with that thought, an ancient poet wrote, It is a pleasure to stand upon the shore and see ships tossed upon the sea, a pleasure to stand in the window of a castle and see the battles and adventures thereof below. But there is no pleasure comparable to standing upon the vantage ground of truth, a hill not to be commanded where the air is always clear and serene, and to see the, and to see the airs and wanderings and mists and tempests in the vale below, so always that this prospect be with pity and not with swelling pride. Certainly, it is heaven upon earth to have a man's mind move in charity, rest in providence, and turn upon the poles of truth. It is fitting that we remember the words of Jesus, and for this cause I came into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Truth is knowledge. This is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Truth defined is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. During the Savior's ministry on earth, he organized his church, choosing humble but sincere men to be his apostles. He lived with them. He made journeys with them. He taught them. He performed miracles before them. He ordained them, granting them authority and power, all preparatory to sending them into the world to declare his gospel. On a certain occasion, as he journeyed with them, Jesus came into the coasts of Caesarea Philippi. He asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I am, the Son of Man am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The rock of Revelation is the foundation of his Church. The principle of Revelation is indispensable in the living Church. This principle is inherent to the affairs of God as he directs his children through his prophets. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints was restored under the power and authority of divine Revelation. Early in the 19th century, a sincere young man whose name was Joseph Smith a seeker after truth found in the epistle of James, which was written to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, these powerful words, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the tossed wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. 
With that heavenly invitation to truth, Joseph Smith ventured into the sphere of prayer and received the knowledge of the Father and the Son, two personalities, and instructions from the voice of the Savior in response to the inquiry of Joseph that none of the churches existent were true, that they draw near to me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They teach for the doctrines the commandments of men, having a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. Further instruction came to him that at that time that he would be God's instrument in restoring his true church upon the earth. Surely the Lord God will do nothing, but he revealeth his secrets unto his servants, the prophets. Sometime later, in 1841, eleven years after the organization of the restored church, Joseph Smith was requested to set forth a brief statement of the belief of its members. This statement is known as the Articles of Faith. The eighth and ninth articles of that statement expresses our belief with respect to the revelation, revelation from the divine source. It says, We believe the Bible to be the word of God as far as it is translated correctly. We also believe the Book of Mormon to be the word of God. We believe that God has revealed all that he does now reveal, that we believe that he will yet reveal many great and important things pertaining to the kingdom of God. We know that the Bible is a compilation of the available revealed messages received by the prophets from God for the benefit and guidance of God's children here on earth. The Bible is the foundation of our religious library. It has been brought to us in an honorable manner and is sorely needed in this modern world. It contains much of what we need to know. How would we have known of Jesus had the record been lost? Think of the revealing words of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of man. He was in the world, and the world was made by Him, and the world knew Him not. Jesus was the creator of this world and all things pertaining to it. He was Jehovah who revealed to the prophets, thus ushering in all the gospel dispensations that have occurred. The Bible, however, does not contain all the revelations that have has ever been given. Through modern revelation, the Book of Mormon was brought forth through the prophet Joseph Smith. It stands as a new witness of Jesus Christ and discloses that his gospel was known to the ancient inhabitants of the Americas and that he visited the Americas after his ascension. These inhabitants were known to him as other sheep of my fold, for they carried in their veins the blood of Israel. Through modern revelations, we now know that Adam received the gospel. It has been revealed that Adam and Eve, his wife, called upon the name of the Lord, and they heard the voice of the Lord speaking unto them, and they saw him not, for they were shut out of his presence, and he gave unto them commandments that they should worship the Lord their God and should offer the firstlings of their flocks for an offering unto the Lord. And Adam was obedient unto the commandments of the Lord. And after many days an angel of the Lord appeared to Adam, saying, Why dost thou offer sacrifices unto the Lord? And Adam said unto him, I know not, save the Lord commanded me. And the angel spake, saying, This thing is a similitude of the sacrifice 
of the only begotten of the Father, which is full of grace and truth. Wherefore thou shalt do all that thou doest in the name of the Son, and thou shalt repent and call upon God in the name of the Son forevermore. And in that day the Holy Ghost fell upon Adam, which beareth record of the Father and the Son, saying, I am the only begotten of the Father from the beginning, henceforth and forever, that as thou hast fallen, thou mayest be redeemed, and all mankind, even as many as will. We now know more concerning Enoch. The Bible gives but little information about this great prophet. Latter-day Revelation tells of his, his work among his people. Says Enoch, The Lord which spake with me, the same is the God of heaven, and he is my God and your God. He explained to Enoch the whole plan of salvation, the gospel of Jesus Christ, as it had been declared to Father Adam. We now know more of Noah, that the Lord ordained Noah after his own order, and commanded him that he should go forth and declare his gospel unto the children of men. Even as it was given to Enoch, Noah continued his preaching, saying, Hearken and give heed to my words. Believe and repent of your sins and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, even as our Father, and ye shall receive the Holy Ghost, that ye may have all things made manifest. And if ye do not this, the floods will come upon you. Nevertheless, they hearken not. Now we know more of Abraham, as Jehovah spoke to him. And he said, My name is Jehovah, and I know the beginning, the end from the beginning. Therefore my hand shall be over thee, and I will make thee a great nation, and thou shalt be a blessing unto thee, after, to thy seed after thee, that in their hands they shall bear this ministry and priesthood unto all nations. He declared to Abraham the vision of the preexistence of mankind. Now the Lord had shown unto me the intelligence that were organized before the world was. And among all these there were many of the noble and great ones. And God saw these souls that they were good. And he said unto me, Abraham, thou art one of them. Thou wast chosen before thou wast born. Were we to continue to review all of the revel modern revelations, we would come to realize that this, is, <clears throat> that this is now the time of which Paul revealed to the Ephesians, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth. The gospel reveals to us the need for Jesus to offer himself as a sacrifice for the sins of men that all mankind may be redeemed, that man may be saved by believing in him, to believe in all his teachings and be obedient to them, to be truth hearers of the voice of Jesus. It is a lifelong task to hear, to learn, to obey all the vast truths for the gospel reaches into the eternities. It has been said of our belief in divine revelation that this declaration of religious belief on the divine fountain of truth and his revelation to man embraces all truth in the universe, whether revealed or yet to be revealed, whether made known through inspiration of the Almighty that giveth understanding to the spirit of man in his discoveries and developments of material things of life, or whether manifest in things invisible to mortal eyes, it embraces every scientific truth, every historic truth, every truth in philosophy or logic or demonstrable fact. That is the scope of revealed religion. 
It is this system of law and order which prevails under heavenly control. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We invite all to consider the truth spoken from this pulpit with the suggestion of an ancient poet who said, Fly no opinion because it is new, but strictly search. Reject it if false. Embrace it if it is true. May that be done in the attitude of prayer. I bear witness to the truth that revelation and prayer is indispensable in attaining eternal life. And this I do in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. From the book of Psalms we read, Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy ways unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. And he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light, and thy judgments as the noonday. The scriptures have always seemed to equate righteous living with a special light, with a spirit, joy, happiness in those whose lives it is so evident that they live this way. Many years ago, when I was a retail executive, we had a night watchman in our store whose teenage daughter had just joined our church. He would often comment of what a change had occurred in her life. Her baptism had brought a new spirit into their home. I was attempting to use this event as a base to teach him the gospel. One evening as I was leaving the store, he was by the exit checking out those late customers who had completed their purchases after the store had closed. I stopped a minute to visit with him. He immediately started to tell me about his daughter. He said, You know she just radiates since she has joined our church. I proceeded to tell him that having a trust in the Lord and conforming our lives to the gospel plan does make a change. Even in our very countenance, just that time I noticed two ladies approaching the door among several other customers. They were neatly dressed. Their faces had that special glow. As if my eyes were directed to them, I immediately noticed on one a duty to God pin presented by her son, I would imagine, for achieving this special award. I turned to my friend and said, Look at those two ladies coming towards the door. They have a different look. They are members of our church. He was so caught up in the spirit of my remark, he rushed over to them and said, Are you Mormons? I, they confirmed the fact. And he returned shaking his head, saying, 
You know, I can tell the difference. I agree with him. There is a difference in those who serve the Lord. History has given us this evidence. From the very beginning, when I read the scriptures, I try to make them come alive. I try to associate with these great characters that we find in them. Let me just illustrate with one example. Beginning in the 37th chapter of the book of Genesis, we read a remarkable story about a family who had a large number of boys. One of the sons, Joseph, was loved by his father more than his other brothers, so the scripture records. To show his love and appreciation for this good son, his father made him a coat of many colors. And then it records, when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his other brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. Joseph didn't help matters much. He dreamed dreams and then would tell them to his brethren, and they hated him even more. Can you imagine how such a dream like this would go over in your family? Here I pray you, this dream I have dreamed, for behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves made obeisance to my sheaf. And his brethren said unto him, Thou shalt indeed reign over us, or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him even more for his dream. To complicate the process, his father allowed Joseph to stay at home and send his brethren out in the fields to tend the flocks. Then every now and then he'd say to Joseph, go out and check up on your brothers. <laughs> One day, when they saw him coming from afar, they felt as if they could stand his presence no longer and conspired to slay him. They conceived a plan where they would kill him and cast him into a pit and then tell their father that some evil beast had devoured Joseph. A brother saw a caravan at that time coming from a distance on its way to Egypt, and he said, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let our hand not be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. And his brethren were content. And they took their 17-year-old brother and sold him as a slave to a caravan going into Egypt, a strange land where they spoke a strange tongue and had strange customs. But the Lord was with this remarkable man. He seemed to never be discouraged. Though a stranger, a slave, his countenance must have radiated a special spirit. For when he was offered for sale, he was purchased by a captain in the king's guard. In a short time, Joseph had so distinguished himself that the captain made him ruler over his house. In authority, he was the first servant. He made him overseer over all the captain had, and the captain put his complete trust, his property, his income, his home, in the hands of Joseph. Joseph was a goodly person and achieved this position through his faith and trust in the Lord. 
trouble was not over here. For this handsome young man, one day when he was alone in the house, was attracted by the eyes of the wife of the captain of the guard. She came in and put her hand on his coat. Joseph, being a righteous young man, knew that this was no place for him and jumped out of his garment and fled. The wife was left holding Joseph's garment in her hand. When her husband came home, she told a horrible story about Joseph. This caused the captain to become so angry, he had Joseph cast into prison. Now another difficulty, this time in a strange land and in prison. But Joseph was not easily discouraged. He immediately set about to become the best prisoner within the prison. He gained favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison, insomuch so that the scriptures record, and the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in prison. And whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. You see, Joseph was given the position of being the highest prisoner, and all the prisoners were turned over to his charge. Again, in a difficult circumstance, Joseph became the best, even as a prisoner. Well, now cast into prison shortly after Joseph was there were two of the king's officers, his chief butler and his chief baker. Joseph soon became acquainted with them. They both had dreams. Now Joseph, being a righteous man, was asked to interpret their dreams. Through the power of the Lord, Joseph was able to do this. To one he said, You will not get out of prison, but lose your life here. To the other he said, You will soon have the opportunity of returning to your position of honor with a pharaoh. Then he asked the one who would soon have the opportunity of being released, to remember him to the Pharaoh, because he had progressed as far as he could in the prison. <laughs> the chief butler was restored to his position of prominence in the king's service, but forgot all about Joseph for two full years. Then one day the king had a dream, which wise men could not interpret. The chief butler remembered then Joseph. And the king sent for him, and he was able to interpret that dream. The king was so impressed with Joseph that he was released from prison and was placed in the service of the Pharaoh. Joseph again distinguished himself. As he became chief in all the land, second only to the Pharaoh himself. Because of the service Joseph rendered, we find the Pharaoh saying unto his servants, Can we find such a one as this is, a man in whom the Spirit of God is? The Pharaoh recognized in Joseph that he was directed by the Lord, and the scriptures record, For as much as God hath shown all this, there is none so wise and so, so discreet and wise as thou art. When one follows the course marked by the road signs of the gospel of Jesus Christ and places his trust in the Lord, its influence 
is such that it is not only manifest in his action and in his deed, but there is a marked and visible change in his countenance, in his being. There is a special light and a spirit that radiates from his eternal soul. It can be described in words such as brightness, light, joy, happiness, peace, purity, contentment, spirit, enthusiasm, and etc. Brigham Young has said, a person who enjoys the experience of the knowledge of the kingdom of God on earth and at the same time has a love of God within him is the happiest of all individuals on the earth. You never saw a true saint in this world that had sorrow. Neither can you find one. If persons are destitute for the fountain of living water or the principles of eternal life, then they are sorrowful. If the words of life dwell within us and we have hope of life eternal and glory and let that spark within us be kindled into a flame to consume the least and last remains of selfishness, then we can walk no longer in darkness and are strangers to doubt and fear. Where is happiness, real happiness? Nowhere but in God. Truly happy is that man or woman or that people who enjoys the privileges of the gospel of the Son of God and who knows how to appreciate his blessings. Now, if the scriptures have given us evidence over the ages of righteous living is the greatest source of happiness on earth, that should continue even today in our lives in our being. Let me just cite one more quick example written in a recent Ensign magazine. In the summer of 1953, there was a 16-year-old, as a 16-year-old apprentice actress, our leading actress was a pretty red-headed girl who had won the lead in competition, so I understand, in New York. She and I shared the same suite of rooms. Every morning I woke up and I saw her sitting on a bed reading. I awoke to that sight no matter what hour of the morning it was. The news spread quickly that she was a Mormon. In an environment where morals simply did not exist, she was as pure as snow. No drinking, no smoking, not even in the plays, and no men in her room. She loved everyone. She was so gentle and friendly even though she was the star. And always in the morning, she was reading and reading. Not her scripts, but some other books and magazines that she had brought with her. She never talked to me about her religion, and I never asked her. But I never forgot her. Many years after I had married and we had two children, my husband and I became dissatisfied with our spiritual lives. We took religion courses and went to many churches but we were still not satisfied. Then I remembered her. She had been, they said, a Mormon. I had no idea what a Mormon was, so I went to the public library in the little town in which we were living, and the only thing I could find was Mormon, the book of. In the back was listed a mission home, some addresses of mission homes. The nearest one was in Georgia. 
I called them and asked them if they accepted converts. <laughs> the rest of the story is part of our family history. I've never been able to find that young lady, but because she lived her religion, I could never forget her. And now 37 people on both sides of our family are members of the church. How the world needs the example of those who will let the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ radiate within their eternal souls. How we need to show righteous living yields eternal joy to you who have embraced the gospel of our Lord and Savior. Stand as a beacon upon a hill and light the way for those who seek a happier, more joyful and fulfilling life. To you who have not discovered this greatest of all gifts, come join with us. Let us lead and teach you the way to build a happier life by conforming our lives to the teachings of our Savior we can bring greater joy to a troubled world. I humbly pray that we will place our trust in the Lord and do good, that we, it may be said of us, as it was said of Joseph of old, as we live examples to the gospel. Can we find such a one as this is, one in whom the Spirit of God is. God lives. Jesus is the Christ. This is His Church. This is my humble witness to you today. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.